0: Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast. This week, we're joined with John Pino. He's the Executive Director with the Ontario Woodlot Association. John, how are you doing today? I'm good, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. Well, we were just joking earlier that we suddenly have the summer weather It's what, 30 degrees plus humid X40. And for our listeners, I was just lamenting to John how my AC literally died yesterday. Uh, So now I'm shopping for a new AC and trying to figure out if I'm getting the friends and family discount or the it's the hot as bleep. I inserted my own bleep pricing, but hey, you got to do what you got to do. So what's new, John? It's been a while since we connected. You had a good summer. Yeah, great summer. Thanks, Kevin. It went too quickly as they all do, but... uh...
1: You know, up here it's funny this this is the I think just about the hottest it's been uh in July and August and now we're in September and uh we were we were kind of wet and cold or wet and colder than usual so uh you know it's kind of a nice nice thing I was outside a lot and yeah. playing some golf this week and uh I had a tour with the uh, Lakehead University uh faculty of uh, natural resources management students yesterday out in the woods here and had a lot of fun.
0: So where are the woods and where is here for our listeners?
1: Well, I'm based up here in Mattawa, near North Bay, and it's uh, right where the uh, Mattawa and Ottawa Rivers meet, so kind of getting towards the top end of the Ottawa Valley, and uh, it's in the Nipissing Forest, and that's managed by Nipissing Forest Resource Management, and yeah, it's just uh, always always lots of uh, groups coming, especially students to to see what we do here. It's best management for uh, best best force management practices and and the application of sound science and all the civil culture decisions. It's a great place to 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 mentor and and show students uh you know sort of the the application of those best practices.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I I, I recall fondly. I think my first trip up to your neck of the woods was uh, from work you were doing with the forestry research partnership up at the Canadian ecology center there. And that was my first extro- exposure to that region. And since then, I think I've been there probably hundreds of times. So thank you for that. Um, and so this is going to be a fun conversation because for our listeners, um, John, you've worked with what FP innovations, you worked with Canadian Institute of forestry. Um, you're, you're a professor at Algonquin college, um you know you were part of the forestry research partnership and innovate we're probably dating ourselves now and some listeners know are laughing right now but you're part of the, the frp the forestry research partnership uh back in the day but you've always dealt with technology so but before we get into that and and get your thoughts on where the world was excuse me and where it's going share your background how did you get into forestry it's an interesting journey and uh yeah, I'll
1: date myself, and I'll be honest. I'm I'm uh, forty plus years in the sector now, and uh, and if you include summer student, you know, work, it's probably forty five. So, uh and and one of those typical forestry people. I'll probably never really retire. I volunteer a lot, and I just uh, I just really enjoy what I do, and that's that's a real blessing because it seems you never work a day in your life if you really enjoy what you do. But uh, yeah, I I, uh, I started, uh, oh, I guess I worked in, and volunteered in some of the provincial parks in southern Ontario. My, my older brothers were both uh, keen biologists and naturalists, and I, of course, wanted to be just like my big brothers and followed in their footsteps and ended up getting a, a biology degree from, uh, from Trent University and uh, actually worked a lot for the Ministry of Natural Resources with summer contracts and and then uh permanent 13 14 years i think it was from about uh 79 to 94 something like that or 80 1980 to 94 but um you know park naturalist and uh you know kind of really got into the the wildlife and and nature and and uh plant identification trees uh but then uh when something happened and i i started to get the opportunities to to try gis and and uh, remote sensing and that sort of thing so uh, MNR sent me back to school with my salary when I was 30 and I went to Fleming College and got my tech papers in GIS and that was a real boon it, it it really opened up a lot of doors and I, I kept with the ministry for a couple more years and then an opportunity came up in the early 1990s to go and work at uh, Miller Western Force Products in Alberta and I worked there for for six years as their GIS uh, manager and company biologist and just kind of a bit of a jack of all trades, but mostly GIS. And that that got me really rolling, and I I ended up working in that for ten years. Um, and I can still remember the first time I dealt with LiDAR and and the the point cloud. Uh, it came to me as a I forget. I think it was on a tape, and I I had a big Sun workstation, and I had. 64 megs of ram which was huge then and uh it it basically this lidar data i loaded it up and it brought that system to a grinding halt and i couldn't really do much with it and that was about 95 96 but you know it, it got better and better but yeah i worked worked at miller western came back and and uh and uh, re in ontario with our family and and worked for the forestry research partnership and Tembeck and that's where I met you. you got to do a lot of extension and knowledge exchange and we got to play a lot more with LIDAR I remember with with you and uh, I think it was Paul Trites was your your professor at Queens and uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the other fellow that that came up he's he's in Nova Scotia now but um, we were working a lot with him too and we just had a, a lot of fun with that and and uh, LIDAR we only really, really started to to get uh to get used in, in Tembex sort of forest management units and, and sustainable forest licenses and and we helped through the forestry research partnership. It, it was just uh, uh I don't want to want it to sound like uh it, it was a, a, a lot of toys we were playing with and, and having too much fun, but we were, you know. And the the thing is those toys and that that technology had huge positive implications and applications for force management and that was very exciting and and now it's pervasive it's the the change in those 20 years since you know we first started really getting serious about you know lidar and 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 doing the good things with remote sensing it's just unbelievable the change and I know folks at Lim geomatics have done amazing work too and it's just all all kind of great to see that that transition and evolution during my career and to be a part of it was just a great honor
0: and, and a lot of fun yeah for sure for sure so thinking of your so mnr ministry of natural resources in ontario the province of ontario so thinking of that experience and then the one you had at miller western on the the i joke sometimes the dark side the private sector side which i'm <laughs> not part of um during that time you know aside from latter, which I, I definitely want to pick your brain a bit more about um extension work and you know the toys and and i believe there is uh merit um especially in the the, the forest forestry space but thinking from a technology point of view if you were to kind of take lidar aside and then uh, i was chuckling when you're like back in 79 i was doing this i think i'm like i think i was four years old based on that math and i thought we were closer in age than that but okay so we're, we're still maybe a slightly devi deviation uh uh, from that that bracket, but same same grouping there. But from a technology point of view, keeping lidar aside, was there a a moment in time that was prior to this lidar transformation? Another uh, set of technology that really, from your seat, your thinking back, um, you would say, "Wow, that that was another game changer for us as foresters."
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's that's a really good question, and I I would just say the use of geographic information systems and remotely sensed images and that in a in a modern way and, and what we take for granted now i i was i was in on the ground floor for that and it was it was interesting when i was with mnr uh there were there was no gis except a, i think a pilot kind of project out of our timmons district office and i was a little bit party to that uh right around the time that that like I say, the MNR sent me back to to Fleming College to get my my GIS papers. Um, but you know, GIS was really new and and different and exciting. And of course, I forgot to turn off my phone. I'm sorry. Um, it was it was exciting, new, different, but scary to some. And and you you hear things like, "Well, we're not going to have jobs anymore. There's not going to be a need for anyone in in the bush." And to this day, I still hear that from every time a new technology comes out. And I kind of call BS, you know, it's just not true. We're always going to need boots on the ground and people that know what's going on in the forest and that sort of thing. They'll just be using different tools and technology when they go. But yeah, I I think back to the, I guess it was, you know, kind of the, well, I, I guess the late 1980s. 90s early 90s and uh gis was a scary thing to a lot of people or just you know not not really well understood and you got get the other kind of group that thought well it's just you know basically automating or you know creating digital maps which was far from the truth i mean that's the the output the product of of gis analysis and that sort of thing but you know the thematic maps the overlays all the the analysis you could do was tremendously powerful and uh, that wasn't really apparent to a lot of folks in forestry. So w- watching the whole thing kind of happen um, and and seeing what was done in some companies or or even government offices and what was done in others was was really interesting to me. My, my kind of philosophy and approach, and I had tremendously good support with it at Miller Western, was to integrate it into everybody's daily work. And you wouldn't have a GIS department per se that would just produce a bunch of maps for you. You would you would basically be using it as a tool day to day. You'd you'd input your data, you'd, you know, you'd kind of do the basic analysis. You you'd pump out your own maps. And that that was a model that I thought was the best. I, I thought it was doing doing really good things for people that, you know. Adds to their skill sets, you know, they put it on their resume. I can use GIS as a high end user, a super user. And I, I think I was doing everyone a favor with that that approach, that philosophy. Other companies I saw, they'd have, you know, 5, 10, 15 people in, in GIS departments that would do it all and be like a big black box office. And I just didn't think that was the way to do it. So, yeah, uh, long, long and short of it is um, we implemented a really powerful, integrated, gis that had tremendous end user options and capabilities and by the time i left people were were using it regularly on a, a daily basis well before i left in fact and uh they could they could generate maps easily they could input their data you know to make the maps easily um, they could look at things they could query themselves they didn't have to go to some cranky it person like me and say hey you know how, how do i do this what's this what's that yeah, you know, my my job was to set it up so that they could do it themselves, and all yeah. the data was accessible to them, and, and make things happen. Yeah, and that was that was a huge, powerful sort of. It was a paradigm shift, and and, and that's an overused term, but it was, um, it it really was a game changer, for everyone, and it it set the stage for, uh, I think, much better force management planning, operations, and civil cultural. Uh, tracking and, and, uh, and monitoring that sort of thing. For sure. and it was exciting. And, and I'm very proud of that legacy. And I know Miller Western to this day, I think has a very powerful GIS system, although I've been gone 20 plus years from, from there.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's interesting for you to share, share your thoughts around that space. Cause I, 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 I we've, we've heard it time and time again, uh, whenever, as you said, whenever there's a new technology, it's, it's mass panic, you know, even with, uh, artificial intelligence now, right? It's the same. Oh, we're gonna be out of jobs. Everyone's gonna be, you know, like unemployed. And, and often we we end up maybe seeing gains in efficiency in certain areas, and others that just require a human eye, um, yeah. no matter what you do. But to that point, thinking of that experience, um, uh, one of the things I always found cool with you is it, it's often. Uh, not often, always a half glass full type of view from John Pino, always positive, optimistic about what the future can can be. So thinking from that private sector side and then moving back to Ontario with the Forestry Research Partnership, maybe tell us more about what that was about, um, because there's a lot of cool projects that that FRP funded. And I mean, cool, like to your point, toys, but maybe introduce us to what FRP and Tembeck and, and others were trying to do and maybe pick one or two like super cool projects that you still think fondly fondly about now
1: yeah and and it's 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 a really good sort of uh transition into into that sort of uh thought uh thought area and 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 explanations because so much of what we did with the forestry research partnership was that same philosophy that uh, i brought with me uh you know from miller western to get things into the hands of the foresters, the forest technicians, the everyone that was you know basically managing the forest or in in some way or another involved in you know planning, practice, operations, whatever, and 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 it was a, again you can't beat this you know you, you just you don't want to set it up so that uh, people are reliant on on a small group to to get what they need to do a good job. It, it's got to be. In their hands, it's got to be uh, distributed, and and that was the whole, I think, approach with the extension knowledge exchange program at the Forestry Research Partnership, and I'll I'll call it the FRP for short. Um, I was very lucky; I, I got to work with some wonderful people there. Uh, George Brumer, who was my boss the second time, he was a boss at M&R, but moved to Tembeck and then and then got me back. And Al Stinson, who's you know. Uh, got a, a formidable formidable reputation. The province. Is, is just one of the top-notch forest professionals. Uh, Vic Wern, who was retired from the Ontario Forest Research Institute, Brian Batchelor, Guy Smith, just a bunch of folks from um, different different organizations, Natural Resources Canada, Tembeck, Ministry of Natural Resources, thinking Ken Durst from Tembeck, who was really instrumental in in getting LIDAR actually flown for some of the units up in the north it it, was it was a heady days i called it I wrote an article in the forestry chronicle about about everything and it's uh, it's serving in my memory to kind of to kind of bring it all back but yeah the idea was get this out there and and um, as extension manager for the the forestry for the frp um, that was that was my number one goal and very often it involved and it, it made it easy for me it's just connecting the scientist a willing scientist or researcher directly with the operational people and i kind of you know i, I kind of almost eliminated myself as, as being the the communications transfer transfer person and it losing something in that you know in that connection when it when it was direct the scientist and the researcher to the operations people it it was much better and they uh they were far more receptive, far more likely to use it. And you know, some some people resisted things. Some people would, you know, say we're too busy to try this, or you know, we've got you know we got to get wood to the mill, or do this or do that. Uh, that's uh, one of my favorite cartoons. Is uh, I put it in just about every presentation. I probably overused it for the last twenty years, but it's uh, a bunch of cavemen with a wagon they're pulling, and the wagon has square wheels, and they're you know obviously it's not moving very well and uh, another caveman's holding up round wheels and the caption is well oh, we're too busy <laughs> you know um and, and that's that's what happens um you, you got to take that time to learn and and try new things and then guess what you find out oh this saves me a heck of a lot of time uh i'm glad i got it and i can focus on other things and often more important things and i'm not saying you know, all people were like that, but it, it tended to be a bit of a mindset. And and I can understand that having worked in, you know, in a company or, you know, worked worked in a, you know, uh, let's just say a high stress environment where, you know, every, every piece of wood going to the mill matters and, you know, managing the forest in the best possible way for public license matters. And, and all those things, you don't have a lot of breathing room. And someone like me come along and say, Oh, you got to listen to what the sound has to say or you know come to this workshop you know uh, take a look at this video we made about this this new you know uh opportunity to to try try technology or or try a little different approach um anyway that that was kind of the, the thing and so you you had those i wouldn't say battles but you had those those sort of uh challenges and a bit of resistance but we we were persistent with the frp and we we uh I think we made it as easy as possible for people to take the time, and and we showed them some good positive results that they they could implement and and it was practically applied right away and and once they they see that this is going to help and this is going to make a difference, um, they're more receptive as as you move along. So after a few yeah. years, it was, it was really ready. So two projects i think thinking that really stand out to me. Um, one was the the um, growth and yield project to develop good growth and yield curves which are essential to you know predicting you know wood supply and volume and and what the stand is going to produce over time and in Ontario we we had at that time before the FRP what are called the Plonsky curves and great you know they worked um but they were limited you know some of them were uh were made the growth and yield curves were made on very small data sets and and uh really the you know the Possibility they're going to be really accurate wasn't wasn't as strong as it could be by a long shot. And some would say I'm being kind here, you know, uh, Plonsky did a great job with what he had, and and they were used and good for years. Well, we we developed uh, new yield curves through the forestry research partnership, and Margaret Penner was big time involved in that. a uh, uh, biometrician, bio- uh, Murray Woods, a whole bunch of other folks. And, and we got all kinds of data. We somehow managed to bring all the data together. And we even got data from Quebec and similar you know, forest type uh, stance conditions, and that sort of thing. And we were able to develop, um, Margaret and, and the team were able to develop really good comprehensive growth and yield curves for all kinds of different forest types um, based on much larger data sets, significantly mar- larger data sets and they're also able to look at different intensities of silviculture management, what that would mean. So if, if you look at Wayne Bell's work, which you was know, very prominent in the, uh, in the FRP as well, you could have the, the Neby sort of suite of uh, of different silvicultural treatments and a curve, a different curve of how the forest would grow over time based on those treatments. So natural, extensive, basic, intense, and elite silvicultural treatments. And it was just fantastic. that, that Those curves were... Amazing. I think they're in use uh, now quite pervasively and they made a huge difference. You know, we can we can predict much more accurately and, and our wood supply modeling is much better because of, of that that work. Another uh another project that really stands out to me, and this is Dean Thompson with Natural Resources Canada, and uh he came up with what was called AgNAV. So it was basically uh for aerial spray and the application of herbicide, and it would Turn booms on, boom booms off uh, for the application of herbicide, and it was all based on GPS integration with uh, with the system, and it worked really well. And I think it's still in use today. I was I was actually out. I, I saw some aerial spray being conducted this week, and the the Lakehead students I was out with saw it uh, yesterday too, with the helicopter booms and all that. But it it allowed for very accurate release of the herbicide. So it wasn't going in areas where you didn't want it to go, say water or, you know, this or that kind of area. It was very uh, strictly controlled within the boundary of the area when it sprayed. So a lot, lot, lot more control. And I thought that was a really neat project. Those are just two. I mean, certainly the the lidar and the whole inventory side of things was, uh, you know, something that while well, we talk about that anyway. But that that was another one. But yeah. those two really stood out to me: the yield curves, the growth and yield curves, and and the. Um, the agnab program for herbicide application
0: yeah so so thanks for sharing that john and i'm, I'm curious to to poke at a couple of thoughts and and specifically you know we're talking about the frp they're um maybe taking on riskier projects or maybe idea testing ideas hypotheses that um uh, maybe private sector or even government were allergic or maybe not interested in but but, therein lies my question. i'm I'm curious to know your thoughts and your experiences in this space, um having done private sector, you know government and even and nonprofit now. Is it a lack of investment in foresters and people that 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 there doesn't seem to be this innovation engine built into these organizations intrinsically? or is it a dependency on these multiple stakeholders on? external research organizations to do that work? Is it, to your point, it's just not a priority for the forestry company? Because at the end of the day, it's like, when we think about forestry, it's like, yes, there's a lot of great companies that have moved forward and they're thinking and have embraced new technologies. uh, And that's across the globe. But at the same time, when we try and even today, you know, push a little bit of basic GIS into some companies who believe it or not, are not using full on yeah. genius we seem to have, have this uphill battle and that's something that's really i've I've been stuck with trying to figure out i often joke is it because this forester already has seven hats to wear or seven jobs and we're basically saying hey here's an eighth and ninth and you're not going to get paid for it by the way but what are your thoughts like what is this disconnect at least in in you where um you know in other sectors there seems to be these like innovation always seems to be at the forefront to increase competitiveness or 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 brand differentiation between people or companies and organizations. What what do you think it is in your experience and, 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 and share some thoughts. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a tough question because I, I don't want to come across as negative and And I think that there are some negative elements to this. Uh, first and foremost, I think, I think it really comes down to leadership. Um, if if a particular company or an organization or association has good leadership, then they're going to embrace opportunities to to modernize, to get more efficient, to in, you know, improve uh prove how things are done. And and that includes investing in technology and 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 trying new and different things and always being open to that. Now, that being said, um, you know. I won't say it's bad leadership, but let, let's just say leadership that's um, stuck in the past or is, is having, you know, a, a challenge just to to keep profit margins positive. Uh, that that can really impact and 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 set the tone and and the the outlook of a of a leader. Even a good one can become you know, mired in that that sort of situation that just prevents them from, you know, we just don't have time and. I I can make light of it with my cartoon and that but it, it it is a real problem in in some cases and it's yeah I I working for FP innovations it was it was the same thing again it seems seems all my my jobs after Miller Western were involved in in trying to to you know shed some light on opportunities and and get folks to try different things and at FP innovations I I led a team of industry advisors uh here in Ontario who worked in uh you know forestry wood products um you know higher higher end or let's say um you know more uh bio product sort of things like engineered wood or lignins and sugars from wood and all that 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 sort of stuff it it um they 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 often said to me you're pounding on the door begging to be let in and when you finally let in, it's like you meet meet with a lot of what what they would call um, excess scrutiny or you know questions that are are all based around return on investment, immediate return on investment, and and I can understand that and and I can remember that from the the forestry research partnership as well and in FP Innovations, um, everyone wants to know if if you especially if you're in industry. What the return on investment is how how does this basically help my bottom line and and too often it was in the immediate term and and we'd have to sell something that was longer term so that makes it tough um it, it just i i find that forestry you know the markets can really play a role in in how willing folks are to to try something new again back to the, the profit margins if you know lumber's in the in the tank and pulp is in the tank and everything's kind of just not making money um they're gonna good luck you're you're just not gonna be able to sell anything new or different or or try and get any sort of investment um it's it'll be really really tough to do that other times when you know lumber's doing great and uh everything's selling and and the profit margins are good yeah they'll they'll entertain and, and try to you know, try to bring something new and different in and 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 welcome you more, um, but they're still keeping an eye on that bottom line and they're probably paying off a lot of debt and trying to break even, you know, over the course of several fiscal well, years.
0: Well, I was going to say that I think the window's narrow because even we think at COVID times, right? Like things are booming on yeah. the right? side and then, you know, a lot of companies had record breaking years and that value is distributed to shareholders. I didn't necessarily see it like they're still on their fiscal years. Right. So one might think, you know, when times are bad, it's like in the current fiscal year, everybody, we need to like, you know, tighten up, sharpen the knives, like tighten things up. But then when things are booming, the opposite doesn't happen where it's like, all right, folks, it's like, we're having a great year. It's like, let's open things up and maybe chase things. It almost seems like it's, it's always swinging in the, when times are tough, let's sharpen, but when times are good, uh, Maybe yeah. there is something that comes but but that's business yeah. so and
1: and I hope I'm not over simplifying this um you know the 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 business side of of the equation is is a tough tough part of the business it's it's the you know and and you know I don't have to live that well I live it as a you know as an executive director of a nonprofit on a small scale and that that's another story altogether you know cash flow and and uh, making payroll can be challenging sometimes and you're always you're always trying to you know make things stable and sometimes it it can really impact your decision making or what you're going to allow you know somebody desperately needs a new computer on staff and sorry we just don't have the money you're going to have to make do for another five six months um I, I can I, just a story I got to tell. This is this is a funny anecdote, but uh, the the CEO at the time of um, FP Innovations, um, Pierre Lapointe, really nice fellow. He's he's retired now, but I can remember him telling me a story about a board meeting. So this was all the you know the captains of industry across Canada, you know, we're, we're sitting around the table, and there's government people too. But um, this was at a time when they were talking about you know, trying, um, unmanned aerial vehicles, drones, and forestry. And he brought that up as something that FB innovations was going to study and give, give a try and see what, what goes on with drones. And he was, he said he was almost laughed out of the room. And, and I kind of, Oh, wow. So he said, after the board meeting though, he got three or four personal calls from people on the board that said, you know, uh, if you want to try those drones, we'll we'll uh, we'll work with you and let, let them be tried in our operations. <laughs> and then uh, you know some some of the folks at FP uh, and was, uh, Denny Cormier is now vice president there and uh, Udaya, I, I forget her last name, but they did a lot of studying on drones and their use and and again it was all about return on investment but there were definitely benefits and and uh, and ways you could use drones and as the technology is has, has evolved and improved um it's it's uh pretty amazing uh you know you're going to get to the point I tell the tech students at Algonquin College that I teach you're all going to have you know by the time your careers are well established I think you'll all have drones in the back of your trucks and it'll be using them all over the place for for this and that and everything and uh well OWA through uh through uh, some funding we got for for the inventory project invested in two high-end drones and we're using them all over the place so it's just becoming pervasive in, in forestry. So that was just a funny story. That I think that would be about 15, 18 years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that 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 happened with Pierre. I, maybe maybe twelve or fourteen, I can't remember, but it just yeah. shows you how, how quickly things change sometimes.
0: Absolutely. And and the, the the interesting thing is um, you know, the focus is always as you said on ROI, but even recently um you know that human factor dimension i've started hearing more and more where leaders are saying you know what if we don't have these technologies we will not be able to recruit we will not be able to retain our people and 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 i've definitely felt that end and current and it's interesting or i find fascinating because from a pure roi point of view the the conversation has shifted almost where the roi is important but now it's these soft values that some leaders are recognizing it's like you know if we don't do this like Like we're in trouble and forget the ROI. And then sometimes I know, you know, it's like, the amount of time you spend on the business case or ROI, you you probably would have been done the project, the small scale uh, project anyways, but, but uh, organizations have their own momentum. Some are cruise ships and some are little speed boats and uh, none's necessarily better than the other, but so you brought in the the FP innovations, did some work there and this is not intentional. I'm not trying to walk you through your, your career journey intentionally, just more the conversation where it's going, but you're, you're with Canadian state of forestry and then now with the Ontario Woodlot Association more on the, the nonprofit side of things. And again, fascinating career, right? Like government and industry, you know, nonprofit and jail or different things. You've also done trips to, to China with the CIF and, and met the, you know, I believe the King or was it the Prince or I don't know which one it is now, but, but you're now in this different space. So, where did that come about? Is that a, a career transition thing, or is that just you mature and in your interests, or maybe your values change, and things that were once important are maybe not as important, and now you're you're interested in in different things?
1: Yeah, that's that's a that's another tough question, <laughs> but a good one. Uh, I, I'd love to be able to say that this was all planned and and uh, there was there was a conscious. Sort of approach and uh, and and set of ideas or a philosophy a, a transition plan, but uh, there wasn't. You know, it it kind of it kind of was a case of well, let the chips fall where they may. And uh, I I like to think of myself as being pretty fearless and and trying different new things. I I get bored after five or six years and I need something new and different. That's a that's a really maybe positive or negative personality trait. I don't know which, maybe it has elements of both, but uh, yeah, I, 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 was with FP innovations. I think, well, pretty well, every, every organization, I think the maximum was seven or eight years, but usually five or six. And, you know, it was time to move on. I even told the OWA when I started, uh, well, it was three and a half years ago. I'm, I'm good for maybe five years, you know, and then, and I'm, I'm very close to retirement or semi-retirement. And although I again, I don't think forestry people ever do retire, but, um, uh, I, I, you know, the, the, the thing that I like and and feel the happiest with, or the, 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 pro, the most proud of is, is, uh, is giving back and, and contributing positively to an organization. Um, when, when I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I won't give you the, the amounts, but when I, when I left FP Innovations and it was time, it was almost six years and I, I needed to change and the OWA opportunity came up and I won the interview. It was a significant drop in pay, but I was fine with that. Um, I, I didn't want to fly all the time anymore and I didn't, I didn't want to do some of the things that I was doing at FP that were just, you know, kind of getting, you know, 20 years with the CIF. And I was, I was, altitude super elite with Air Canada for way too long. And, uh, I, I haven't been on a plane now for three years, and I'm kind of happy about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, that's getting a little personal. But uh, the OWA it just seemed like a great organization with so much potential to to grow and to do new and different things, and and that's how I sold myself to them, and they they definitely bought it, and I think they're pretty happy. The board board really seems to like what I'm doing and how I'm approaching things, and. We've grown, you know, our budgets quadrupled and our staffing is quadrupled, and we're we're doing all kinds of neat things like the private land forest inventory, desperately needed all across Ontario, and trying these uh, community forest owners cooperatives where we can create economies of sta- scale so that you know they can get much needed thinning done in their plantations and and good silvicultural treatments. Um, trying trying our luck with agroforestry, we're hopeful there. Um, we uh, we took over the Eastern Ontario Model Forest and uh its its governance and management and the certification program. So we're doing a lot of work there and carbon offsets. So we've really gotten involved in a lot of, of different things. And and that's what excites me is that that building something bigger and 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 contributing to something much bigger than myself. And and my my single greatest legacy is I'm just so proud of is. All the young people that that I've helped, you know, in some way or another, to 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 catalyze the start of their careers, give them an opportunity to start start uh, you know a, a good life. That you know, I've enjoyed work, you know, and 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 life balance is is uh, something that some of us find hard to achieve, and I I'm definitely a, a culprit there. But uh, again, I like my work so much; it, it doesn't seem like work a lot of the time. Um, stamina when i you know i'm in my 60s now stamina is becoming an issue and you know i I can't can't uh, run as hard and as fast as i used to but i i still still really enjoy it but um that that, that's really what it's all about is and I'm, i'm a volunteer with the canadian institute of forestry where i was executive director for i think seven or eight years uh volunteer with the canadian ecology center which you mentioned earlier and i'm still on their board um I volunteer with the friends of the Petawawa Research Forest. So I just love that place. I could I could pitch a tent and live there year round, like if my uh, my back would let, let that happen. I I guess I would need to have a good a really good mattress. But anyway, um, you know all those organizations that, that uh, you know, it's, it's kind of joking. All of my friends are forestry too. Um, you know, don't you do know, at this point you're not in touch with too many too many of your. Uh, really old friends from uh from high school, that sort of thing, but saying all my friends are forestry and, and there's never a shortage of things to talk about, not just forestry either. They're all salt of the earth types. And uh that's a real blessing. But uh yeah just very proud of this the young staff we have at OWA and, and all the, the opportunities they're they're getting and and teaching at Algonquin College has been just a wonderful experience. Although I'm spoiling down there too. But you know just uh sharing what what I've learned over the years and yeah and uh, still something to offer you know
0: yeah so as as we look forward right because you're teaching you're you're staying current you know you you obviously know the the business of forestry inside and out having having lived it uh for multiple decades and worn different hats and and seen lots of things and your back issues are probably uh courtesy of too much couch surfing. I I remember seeing you be traveling and always conscious uh you know, of spend and like, hey, it's like I'm in this town. It's like I need a place to crash, and I'm like, so that's probably why I'm. I'm gonna say that's probably why your back is uh, <laughs> uh what it is today. But uh, stamina, you know, golf. You know, you just get a get a cart at that point, and uh, yeah, they'll pan out the 18. But if we look forward and 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 based on your experiences and things you're hearing in the mainstream news around technology and and granted that. It, I think we align in that thinking of it's, there's always going to be new tools that come about Um, some good, some maybe don't uh, live up to their potential, but it's just another tool that each need to figure out what it means for their, their business. But are there certain technologies that as you're listening, watching, absorbing, even into building your curriculum at Algonquin college to teach foresters, the up and the up and comers, what are some of those technologies that you're you're kind of keeping your ear to the ground on? And uh, although maybe you're not able to fully play with it as a toy, as in the FRP days, and and maybe you can through the the college. But are there certain things that that you're kind of like, hmm, this is reminding me of those those pivotal moments that I've seen in technology, ones that I've worked with. Are there any? And if so, uh, what what would they be?
1: Yeah, I, I think that. Uh... A lot, a lot of what I've already talked about, you know, to, to see their full sort of implementation, application, and and coming to fruition as regular tools. They're, they're sort of, they're not quite on the cusp. They're not fully integrated yet, but they're they're on their way. And and I think again, drones, you know, definitely so much potential there. And if 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 I were te- I'm not teaching the remote sensing course this year, I, I step back from it, and someone else is going to teach it, but. I think I would I would really integrate everyone trying a drone, like getting getting to use it and uh and and see what it can produce in terms of you know remote, you know, low altitude remote sensing imagery and, and how you could use it in force management planning and you know monitoring, all those sorts of things. I, I think that's that's really critical. And and that's I don't think you're gonna get as much resistance to that as as some of these other uh technologies have talked to them because everyone is really fully cognizant and I think understands their their uh, their potential use and opportunities in in forestry. Um, and and the, the the drones that we have at OWA, they can actually do photogrammetry and you can get really nice 3D. It's kind of poor man's lidar, but it gives you really good 3D and uh, and, and, and excellent remote sense, uh, remotely sensed images of, uh, of a woodlot or that sort of thing. I think that's, that's a big thing that's coming and, and is, is well on its way to being established, but it, it's gotta be, it will it will become more pervasive. I, I'm really impressed with the use and, and integration of, um, GIS into our everyday, uh, sort of technologies like phones and things like, you know, I've got Avenza, which is a, you know, an app that, uh, that I think is pervasively used in, in forestry, uh, now or is starting to be. And, uh, yeah, you can know, basically get a geo PDF or TIFF, and it it integrates to the, the GPS on your phone, and you can see where you are um, in any given forest stand if you've got that 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 geo reference map on a PDF, that sort of thing. And we were doing a lot of LiDAR calibration and validation plots using Avenza, but we Bluetooth a um, uh, a very high-end GPS, and we bought five of them for OWA or I don't know, three or five of them, but they're, they're uh, really handy. You can, you can Bluetooth them to your phone and your sub meter. So your plot centers are really accurate and you're collecting that calibration and validation data for the LIDAR. And, uh, and it's really, um, really working well. So, so that sort of technology, you know, um, I, I don't think I even pulled out the old GPS units at Algonquin college this here. We just used, I said, Hey, everyone load up with Venza, and, you know, nine students out of 10 had never heard of it, and now they, they think it's the, the best thing since buttered bread. So, you know, opportunities like that. And I see old-timers, well, they're younger than me, actually. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> they're, they're, they're using Avenza, and uh, and I'm like, wow, that's great to see. So, you know, younger guys to me, 40s and 50s, using Avenza, and and, and they're, you know, no, you know uh, navigating around and, and finding you know uh four stands and, and walking into the middle of them it's just it's totally changed things i mean you still need to know how to use a compass and all the traditional tools like make sure that that's driven into their head we 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 make sure of that because sometimes you know your phone runs out of juice or something doesn't work and you know need to know the old tools too but um I, I think that's that's really critical. The one thing I wanted to talk about though Kevin was the uh the whole LiDAR scene and and I think its potential is is suddenly being discovered. And I'll give the OWA, our organization credit and uh Ben Grillam and Sinead Eggett, who work for us as uh as the inventory sort of gurus, so uh then more on the you know the modeling and, and uh and analysis side with the lidar and sinead on the field data collection as our operations coordinator. But uh what, what we've been able to do is we we've we've garnered all this LIDAR from say conservation authorities, municipalities, that sort of thing. And, and they weren't using it at all to its full potential. So a lot of them are using it for floodplain mapping or terrain modeling and, and the the vegetation point cloud, which is kind of tossed aside and not used. And we said, no, no, give that to us and we'll use it along with high resolution, say uh, satellite imagery, and we'll, we'll make you a, a good forest inventory that you can use. And they loved it. We did a pilot project in the United Counties of Prescott and Russell, and then uh, then down in uh, South Asian Conservation Authority, South Asian Conservation. And, and we're moving steadily west and a whole bunch more. Uh, the, the idea is we're going to do the whole province, private land forestry, uh, private land, uh, privately owned forests for the, the whole province. And uh, Environment and Climate Change Canada and other partners have, uh, have funded us to be able to do this and and that that's exciting i think to me the the use of this lidar data to its full potential or or much much greater potential is something that's really uh starting to happen especially for folks that uh you know that that own uh, their own wood lots or you know municipalities and we don't count municipal land or or uh municipal forests as, as crown land it's really privately owned and the conservation authorities and their catchment areas and that sort of thing. So, a lot of excitement there, and a, a realization that they can have these really well produced, accurate, up to date, state of the art forest inventor- inventories with as a sort of a byproduct or a residual where they've invested in LIDAR. And uh, that, that's really exciting to us. And um, it, it, it opens a whole world to our members and, and other woodlot owners to to have good inventories, to get into the Managed Forest Tax Incentive Program, MIFTIP. Um, it gives the forest service providers that that uh, work with private forest owners and our woodlot owner members um, more more data, more information to help them do the planning and, and management on behalf of the, uh, the woodlot owners. So everyone's benefiting. And it's, it's more a case of better use or more complete use of something that's there And uh, it's coming into its, you know, its full full
0: opportunity spectrum there. For sure. Well, it's fascinating for you to describe that because, you know, a lot of that early work was done in the early 2000s and we're 2023. So even though we're talking about, you know, it coming to full potential, um, it's been 20, 20 years and I don't want to say we're only reaping the benefits but maybe there's still more full benefits to be realized in many more years to to come and and i agree with i like your analogy of talking about gis and different tools it's just another toolkit because i often joke where we don't spend much time talking about you know word or excel or powerpoint or any of those types of tools right and maybe someday gis will, for forester just become you know, like a word, it, it comes to the ride. It's like you learn it in school, you got different apps, drone. Yeah, just open up your drone mapping software. No one even bats an eye or thinks, thinks twice about that. So time will tell what the future will will hold. So, <clears throat> excuse me, thinking of, you know, as we're looking to wind down, um, obviously, a, a, you know, a, a really cool career and it's not over yet. I know you, it's like, I laugh when you're like, I'm not going to retire. I'm like, of course you're not. It's like, that's, that's not going to happen. Um, but are there any pro tips you would give some of the up and coming digital foresters to help them maybe um, reap the full benefits of their forestry careers, um, whether they're operational managers or 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 whatnot? Um, what are what would what would you tell a younger John? I guess that 1979 John at the early start of you know getting GIS and building collaborations and teams and um, what advice would you give that that John?
1: Yeah, I would say, I would say to him, be open to anything, and and don't don't be afraid to try anything. Don't be afraid afraid to try new things, different things. Uh, take every opportunity you can to learn, and and remember that learning is lifelong. Continuing education, professional development is is a total way of life and mindset. And uh, you know, read lots, experience lots, find good mentors you know um I, a lot of this i did <laughs> i i feel i feel it's you know um i don't know if anyone told me this i mean my my folks were really good my my brothers were good role models uh they just said yeah make yourself happy um get a degree though you know that that was the thing. get a degree in something you know it's okay yeah well i like biology you know i'm, I'm always out there and, and uh in nature and that sort of thing and it made sense um yeah, good good uh good mentors, uh, kind of a fearless attitude of trying anything new and different. Don't be afraid to make mistakes, um, and, and mess something up. You know, you can always, okay, that's enough of that. I'll try something else. And and that's cool too. Um, I think the other thing I'd say is is don't be afraid to move around. Uh I spent a good part of my career in the boreal forest and don't regret it, and lived in a lot of small communities and uh, to me, uh, they're the best. I, I mean, I've got three daughters. All of whom probably don't like small communities and want to live in the big city with amenities and that. But for me and and fortunately, my wife, we we prefer the quieter, more bucolic life. And and uh, and I, you know, we've always tried to live in smaller towns or outside of towns. Uh, but that's that's very conducive to happening with the forest sector. You know, you can you can pick a lot of really great places to work if you don't mind you know being way up north or in, in isolation and 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 try that and it, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do that there's, there's lots of opportunity in central and southern ontario too where you know there's there's plenty of private land forestry going on there's sustainable uh, forest licenses right down you know to kind of the the north end uh not not too far north of toronto with the the uh Episcene forest of course and um uh, west wind and the and the forest down the, there, the french river and that um but yeah there's just so much opportunity in private land forestry all over you know southern of central ontario um and more in the crown land forestry but don't be afraid to to, to move around try it I, I remember for a few years everything i owned was in the back of a little half-ton truck and i went from contract to contract uh in the summer and 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 uh during school years and then for a few years after before i got a permanent job and uh it's it's fun it's it's an adventure and
0: um I, I think you're better for it sure for sure well hey I, my stuff might be in the back of my car as my ac's broken i might be sleeping in it with the the, <laughs> the electric vehicle running there but uh, thanks for sharing that you know pearls of wisdom uh, for sure and i and the reason i often ask that question to all the guests is that 99% of the time, the answer has nothing to do with technology, which I find fascinating. It comes back to people and their networks and relationships and um, uh, just, just fascinating from that point of view. So as we look to wind down, John, I know obviously, you know, I don't have to to ask. I know uh, you're open to anyone reaching out. Um, mm-hmm. This is part one for our listeners of two. Um, John's John's joined us on this podcast and then uh, Ben Gwillem, um, who, who is boots on more boots on the ground, maybe more doing or scurrying around doing a lot of these projects. He's going to join us on a part two and, and dive into more on the technologies and the, the boots on the ground type of work that the Ontario Woodlot Association is is currently involved with. And that, that'll come a couple episodes later. But for those folks who want to reach out to you and just either to chat or maybe uh, old friends and say hello or or people looking for someone to help them, uh, you know, build networks and collaborations or accelerate who knows what initiatives? What's the best way for folks to, to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, email's good. And uh, my email is just john, J-O-H-N dot Pino, P-I-N-E-A-U, at Ontario Woodlot, all one word, dot com. Pino at com, And uh, yeah, you can phone me if you want, anytime. I'm, I'm always on the phone, it seems, but I don't mind. 705 358 four two six
0: one there you go folks so there's uh john sharing up his credentials live so if you want to reach out and uh and 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 talk then uh, definitely encourage you to reach out to to this guy he's one of the good guys so john really appreciate you carving out some time to to chat with me i always love uh syncing up i know it's been a while and and yet we still have not made it on to the the golf course together, and and truthfully, I I only decline politely because I suck. Despite the number of times <laughs> you see me on social media trying to swing a club, I still suck really really bad. So I'm trying to get my game to a point where I I I, I won't have to play best ball off your cannonball uh, drive from uh, the the tees there. But uh, wishing you the best with the rest of your summer, and I'm sure I'll I'll see you on the circuit at some of the events uh, coming up.
1: So thanks thanks so much for this opportunity, Ken. I really enjoyed chatting and uh, telling my story i guess Yeah, it's
0: been fun for sure for sure all right man all the best and we'll uh we'll keep yeah. in touch thanks so much okay bye for now